Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Today is Wednesday, March 28th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am here with Steve Say. Words. Bob Ryer. Youch. And Stephanie Cook. Hey. (laughs) Way to bring down the energy, Stephanie. Way to bring (laughs) down the energy. Hey. (laughs) Much better. Yeah, Yeah. Bob, come on. Don't patronize her. That was not better. Okay, try one more time. Hey, hey! There you go. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, much yeah, better. Yeah, there we go. That was much better. Right. Um, Can so, I go back and redo mine? No, uh, to you're match done. Her, oh, okay. You're done. All right. So uh, <laughs> mine was awesome. Yours was great. <laughs> yes, Steve. yeah, you're fine. <laughs> there was no criticism at all for your for your introduction. Um, so this is Talk Talks podcast, and we're going to be talking about Avengers vs X Men today with special guest Alan Kistler. But before we get to that, we're going to do a little banter. <laughs> How do you guys feel about good. that? You I guys like feel good banter. about that? I like me some banter. Okay. Um, we're Put me to, off some of that We're real banter. people. We we're, do real things. We're very real people. Um, and we all very rarely saw the Hunger Games this week. Yeah. yeah. We did. Um, so, I will quickly, I've actually talked to Stephanie about it already because she was on the Man Cave podcast. Plug. That's true. Oh. Yes, which came out yesterday. Um, but, Steve, what do you think of the Hunger Games? I liked it very much. All right. Um, we're not doing spoilers. I wouldn't do too many spoilers. No, no I mean. No spoilers. All right. Well, uh, I did read the books. Okay, that's good. And uh, I, w- I would have to say there were, I won't get into spoilers, but there were two aspects of the books that I, one aspect that I thought was a little silly and something else that I thought that they might have needed to either explain better or or change. Mm-hmm. And upon seeing the movie, I was very, very pleased with the way that they displayed the construct of the arena mm-hmm. that Katniss and company eventually end up in. Mm-hmm. That it was more of a like digital, tangible construct than something that they'd been working on all year to to make and right. so on and so forth. Um, but as far as the movie overall, uh, not only was it a great uh, book to film adaption that they they cut out the things that didn't need to be there particularly, but um, overall, like in general, I, people that didn't read the books that came back from it, it's a good movie. Yeah, it I agree with you. Very entertaining, and Jennifer Lawrence was absolutely just captivating i thought she was great yeah bob i mean you haven't read the books i haven't read the books yeah and i went into this uh, with trepidations Mm -hmm. because so many of these book to films don't work this was so much more than i thought it was going to be this is just as steve says a it's a really good movie but and it's a combination of a lot of other old science fiction ideas it's most dangerous game and logan's run and Mm -hmm. running man and everything but put into a new stew completely different and original, 
I hope this. It made a lot of money, but I hope yes. it. But I hope it doesn't fall into the into the mire of it. Some sort of tween movie. This is an important film. Mm. It's about a political reality about where our economy is and where the the country's going. Let's have people look at this as really great science fiction. This is a heck of a movie here. Cool, Stephanie. What about you? Um, I I as discussed on the man cave, I had some <laughs> issues with the film overall. But generally, I think it was a pretty great adaptation, and uh, I love Jennifer Lawrence, hated Josh Hutcherson, <laughs> uh, and I liked everyone else that was involved. I was super surprised with Lenny Kravitz as Cinna. Mm-hmm. Um, he was part with Rue made me cry a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I want to see what they're going to do with the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, for me, coming off the movie, when, when I saw the movie, I had that very much, I want to I wanna watch it again type feeling you know i mm-hmm. felt like yes. um it kept it it made itself feel important and serious you know and that's something that's lacking in some other what you would call young adult novel to to screen adaptations you know they they tend to be self-effacing or kind of winky about the things that are going on and the subject matter in the hunger games i think even in the books is more serious than even the way the books are written you know and i feel like the movie Mainly on the back of the of Jennifer Lawrence's performance, it is just kind of astounding. That that's the one thing that's been missing from, honestly, like even in, except for the later Harry Potter movies, um, from these adaptations, which is just like this central uh, powerhouse performance, right? Because it's a powerhouse yes. performance. It lifts the movie up where it would have fallen in other times. There are times where characters, obviously, the Hunger Games, where kids are going to die, where kids die who maybe you shouldn't really care about because you haven't spent much time with them, but you care about them because it's affecting Katniss, Katniss and you are, you're in there with yeah. Katniss. Um, I think I have, I've gotten pretty good over the years, especially with the Harry Potter stuff, of trying to separate going into the movie, seeing the book and seeing the movie. So I try not to make those comparisons. Um, I do think that if I was going to this movie blind, I would be like, well, what do you get if you win the Hunger Games? Because they don't really tell you that in, in, in the movie. You know, it's, get it's, your life. They glaze over it once. They glaze over yeah. it once. Yeah. So that's that, that. And I've heard people who haven't read the books ask me that question. That's the only reason I even bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do address that in the second book and obviously the movie as well. Right. But, but there's a whole. But again, I don't want to get too much into the, into the books. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, but I think they do a great job of just giving you the simple story that Katniss needs to get back to her family or they're going to starve. You know, that's basically what, what yeah. you get. Um, my issues with it were pretty well just like I didn't think there was enough desperation like before Hunger Games started like with Prim and her mom and they didn't build that up really well to like really to show just how much she needs to provide for her family. I don't know, um, Bob. What do you think? Because you don't you don't well, have any other backstory she's, here. She's out there shooting rabbits and birds and mm-hmm. whatever, and that said to me that, okay, she's their provider. She's their breadwinner, literally, Mm -hmm. in this case, uh, getting loaves from Peter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It it was all there. It was just very elegant little short pieces that showed me what it was she needed. Mm -hmm. I also think the moment where she's talking to the mother and she's like, I'm leaving. You need Mm -hmm. to take care of her. Mm -hmm. Do not fuck this up. Yeah. And then they flash back to her own... Yeah, husband issues. Yeah, and, and show you where that all went wrong. And again, I think that's Jennifer Lawrence. I think Jennifer Lawrence just she sells those little moments to me. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, above and beyond, she makes it feel like there's more there. This than there- definitely wouldn't have been the movie it 
is without her. If you had someone like, I don't know, just, I know she wasn't Amanda up for the role Sifried. or anything, but like Dakota Fanning, mm-hmm. who would give a crap about this movie? Jennifer Lawrence has like the power. She has the looks. She has everything that this movie needed to be the success that it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Steve and I, while the movie was being cast, had a discussion because we had both read the book. And I think both of us were kind of like, uh, who's it going to be? And when Jennifer Lawrence got announced, we were both like, oh, phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I can deal with that. Yeah. She's not who I would have pictured, but I, I can work with that. This mm. is good. We can mm. do this. No, she was she was amazing. She was, she was that movie. Yeah. She did a great job. And I think the casting in general, you know, um, for a few exceptions, whatever your opinions are about some, they did the they seriously cast the movie. You know, they they didn't go for easy ins and outs. They went they 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 cast the movie with an eye for it to be serious. They got a serious director. They got a Billy Ray is a great writer. He wrote Shattered Glass and he wrote um that movie with Ryan Phillippe where he's the FBI agent with Chris Cooper, which I can't remember the name of the movie right now. So I feel like an idiot, but <laughs> um, uh, good writer. And so I think they took it seriously, and that's. Plus, the source material is better. I mean, the comparison everybody makes is The Twilight, and it's a, it's the stories couldn't be more different. The, you the, can't the, even. Yeah. No. Like, um, but just this, uh, this is the way you adapt a book, and there's no cloying. It's brutal too. Yeah. I I think that it's a movie that people should see. I think it, outside of being this phenomenon, it, it is a really solid movie with some really affecting storytelling happening. Indeed. I'm kind of hoping there'll be a director's cut too when it comes out. Hmm. But it's possible. Absolutely, yeah. it's possible. Um, now, I just need to ask. You three have all read the books. Yeah, absolutely. They're told in the first person. Yes. 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 Any problem with that translation? No, the, no I, I like it better. You got it, no more or less information. I like it way better. I think if anything, that they they put you into Katniss's uh, persona, like you were mm. her going through. As as far as the Hunger Games mm. themselves. You were her. Yeah. Like, the, there was so many first-person camera shots, especially, I, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but mm. this one particular sequence where reality's a little distorted, yes. yeah. and that yeah. scene in particular, I was so entertained during those few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I Look. think I had issues with, like, the fact that it was first-person in the books kind of, uh, not dumb them down, but they do make them seem a, seem a bit more teen fiction-y. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. Um, like, she gets a bit, like, she's not angsty. Like, she's still a strong character in the books as well. Mm. But she kind of, at some point, gets a bit, like, whiny. kind of, like, a bit whiny. Yeah. She gets whiny, and yeah. She, they do a really good job of cutting that's, like, it's not necessary to the story. It's just sort of, uh, whiny. Yeah. Yeah. And they do a good job of cutting that out and making her the well-rounded character that she is to me when I cut that out of the books. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, it's just this thing where you have to see everything that's going on in her head. So you have to see all the good and the bad. And so it makes the character less likable to me. I think Jennifer Lawrence is a better version of Katniss than okay. is even in, in, in the book. But that's enough about the Hunger Games. Let's move on but to talk everyone about... Everyone should see the Hunger Games. Yeah, everyone should see it. Absolutely. Let's gonna talk about some <laughs> comic books. Um, book of the week. Bob, why don't you go first this week? Okay, mine is new and old at the same time. Mm. Uh, IDW, as a labor of love more than anything else, it's Rocketeer Adventures, Volume 2, Number 1. Yay! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a yay! A yay for one of my books. I'm impressed. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, look, this is something that, you know, Dave Stevens created the Rocketeer back in 82. It took him 13 years to get any sort of books out whatsoever. His just... 
the detail in his work, his, his uh, research to get planes and cars and everything right. Um, it's been a favorite of creators for years and years and years. And so after his death in 2008, IDW solicited the idea of let's tell new Rocketeer stories. So, so far in this, uh, we've had four issues of volume one. This is the uh, first one of volume two. Mike Allred, Mike Kaluta, Darwin Cook, Bruce Tim, Alex Ross, Kurt Busiek, Mark Wade, Peter David, Dave Gibbons, and Joe Lansdale, all contributing to the four issues that came before and wow. this one. Um, you usually get one little short story, uh, half an issue, about a third of an issue, and then some pinups and whatever. In this newest one, uh, it's called The Good Guys, and, and Cliff gets shot down into this sort of Appalachian community, and the they're holding him while he's injured, and it's a little boy who's trying to explain to them, well, you know, there need to be good guys in the world. He's a vigilante, but they're trying to sort out, well, what do you, what do, you do with this? And this is, um, oh boy, it's Matt Guggenheim and Sandy Plunkett, both of which who've worked, but not a whole lot. So they're kind of new to this, but they've got this character just perfectly done. And the little boy has all the great lines, and, and I, I wrote the whole thing down, so if you don't mind me quoting the book here. Because the adults in the community are, well, he's a bad guy because he doesn't follow the law, and we should do something about that. And I think it really speaks at some level to where comics are in general right now. So here we go. I mean, if we treat the good guys like bad guys, and then you've got to figure pretty soon there won't be any heroes. And the world the way it is now, we need as many heroes as we can get. Hmm... It's kind of heavy for a podcast, but um, and then that that sort of you know heroic moment is followed by a second story that's Peter David and Bill Sinkevich who used to do X books years and years ago. It's the Ducketeer. It's basically people. It's it's Cliff and Betty go to the movies and are watching a cartoon of Daffy Duck doing the Ducketeer with Marvin the Martian and the the birds and ray guns and the whole rest of it. It is just a fun fun read. Uh, I will say also, while you're at it, IDW has also published the complete Rocketeer Adventures in a lovely little hardcover that's all the issues and all the covers in, on really nice paper, and it's Dave Stevens' art. Do yourself a favor, Rocketeer Adventures. I love the iconography of the Rocketeer. It's just so, it's so evocative. What, what, what? The iconography. What the hell is that? Him. Like the way he looks, like... Icon- what? Iconography. Iconography. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 nice yeah. job. Thank you. <laughs> Shit. Learning um, things with talking comics. Yes. Words. Learning, it's all words. about words. New words. Um, <laughs> just you know the, the the cut of the character and how iconic it is to look at. You know, it's like Superman or Batman. Yes. He's so iconic, and I think because Rocketeer had a big part in my childhood growing up. I, that movie was one of my favorite movies growing up. I love that movie. Yeah, you know, so yes. I was obsessed with that that movie and the Timothy Dalton character, you know, and all those other things and Jennifer Connelly. But just mm-hmm. I always thought that it was one of the coolest looks for a character. That helmet is so it's just mm-hmm. awesome. It's just awesome. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that is now much bigger than it was when it was coming out. It came out in such a fragmented way at four or five different companies mm-hmm. back in, back in its time. That the movie came out and did as badly as it did is really a shame. It, it's a, it should have been bigger, might have been under different hands. Who knows? Mm-hmm. There, there are all sorts of rumors. This is something that now you can just pick up and get the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the continuing adventures, uh, I mean, the one I have actually has a Dave Stevens cover, but generally speaking, you've got four different covers. You can grab Alex Ross or Darwin Cook, and all this mm-hmm. stuff is going on. Um, 
It's old-fashioned comic book movie serial adventures. Mm. It's light, fun, but there's a message. There's still a message about mm. heroism here, and can't say too much about this. Though there, I, I will say this: there will be a little piece going up on the site in yeah. the next day or so about Absolutely. Dave Stevens. Absolutely. Um, so, Rocketeer, uh, the event, Adventures Volume Two, two number one, number one. Was- All right. Um, so, speaking of heroism, I'll go on to my book real quick. Okay. I'm going to talk um, quickly about. I, I read a book called Super Crooks by Mark Millar this week, and it was it's a very interesting read, and um, it's got kind of that. Anybody who's read Mark Millar's work in the past knows that he's a little bit bombastic, um, maybe a little bit full of himself, but he writes very unique characters who, who speak in a very unique way, and um, there's a, a pulp nature to the things he mm-hmm. writes. He wrote Kick-Ass. Yes. So we get, it's the same sort of feeling to a lot. In, in this, it's a, a group of supervillains who basically it's, why do we keep robbing banks in New York City there is like 300 superheroes who live here. We always get caught. doesn't matter what happens. We always get caught. Let's go overseas and rob a bank somewhere else. No, they have a reason for it. One of their brethren has been um, was caught cheating at a casino. He used, he used a, like, a telepath to, to guess cards and stuff, and he got caught. Um, and basically, they're going to kill him if, they don't, if he doesn't get $12 million. Pay this like casino head $12 million before... Um, the, the, a week. I think that's about a week. Um, so there's a reason for these people. Like, oh, we got to do one more job. It's that kind of that kind of. It's thing. like an Ocean's Eleven thing. Ex- yep. It's exactly what it's like. Um, cool, funny. You know, it, it, it was an enjoyable read. Well, there's one panel I loved where he, the, the main bad guy is saying, "Well, I never heard of there being a Captain Spain. Why don't we just go there? I'm not going to get the crap kicked out of me every week." Yeah, exactly. Um, and in this world too, it's cool because like the, some of the superheroes are they're kind of dicks. You know, like they. Yeah. They they beat up people and they're not supposed to. You know, it, it's interesting dynamic is going on, and I'm looking forward to reading it in the future. And it's a book you should pick up. But um, I also read uh, Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man number six eighty two, which Ooh. is the ends of the earth, the first of the ends of the earth storyline, which is happening right now. Um, Dan Slott and Huberto Ramos are, are are doing the book, and it tells the story of Doc Ock is dying, right? And he has one more master plan to kind of influence the world, and. It turns out, though, that master plan is, look, I'm a genius. I'm dying. I've done all these bad things. I know how to solve global warming. I can solve it right now. Um, and Spider-Man doesn't believe him. Because to be fair to good Spider-Man, reason. good reason. There's not to believe Dr. Octopus. The coolest thing about the book is, is though, that there's part of you that's thinking maybe, maybe Doc Ock is telling the mm. truth. Maybe Spider-Man's kind of dogged dedication to this. There's good guys. There are bad guys. You know, you, if you if you're trying to save the world, you're a good guy. If you're trying to destroy the world, you're a bad guy. Maybe this is going to lead to him eating his own shoe. You know, in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but it also does a good job of showcasing Peter as kind of the genius that he is, and how he's he's developed all these different gadgets to defeat his different villains. And in the end, he kind of and it's kind of almost linked to the the Civil War type situation because mm-hmm. Tony was kind of like, dude, why do you wear Fucking spandex. Why aren't you wearing <laughs> armor and have? Why don't you have gadgets? You're like the smartest. Per- you're like you're almost as smart as I am. You know, like, and so this kind of leads into that in, in some ways. And um, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I know you read it. Yeah, what, no, I enjoyed it? it quite a lot. No, yeah. Doc Ock has an interesting history. We go back into the John Byrne run on FF. Uh, Sue is pregnant for the second time. 
she's going to miscarry. The only person smart enough to help Reed Richards help her, she's got a radiation problem from mm. Cosmic Rays, is mm. Doc Ock. Mm. And it's an issue of him trying to get Otto to help him. Right. And it shows there's humanity in Otto Octavius. Mm-hmm. It is there. So I come at this with, well, it's possible he's right, yeah. doing the right thing. Is it probable? Probably not. No, but it is possible. <laughs> I know. I agree. With you. Yeah. Probably will end up a huge battle with Spider-Man versus Doc yeah. Ock. Yes. Let, let's yes. just probably say probably. However, um, there's interesting comments, too, about mob mentality. And, you know, Spidey is kind of like, well, nobody's going to believe him. And he, that but shows people that. believe him. People, people, yeah. people are kind of like, well, you know, Spider-Man did do like, and they start like kind of turning on Spider-Man yeah. a little bit, and including his Avengers teammates. Yeah, yeah, and there's a big discussion with the Avengers, and at least a really great last page. Um, I'm like two books behind. I got to catch up. Yeah, I mean, it's really good, really fun, yeah. really f- fun superhero mm-hmm. storytelling, and. You know, there has the slight darkness that always comes with Spider-Man stories, which puts more an underlying darkness. It's yeah. not on the surface, you know? Thoughtful, we'll say. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, it was great, and I, I recommend everybody pick it up. Um, Stephanie, what do you have for us this week? Ah, so I read Smoke and Mirrors number one. Oh. Um, I don't know if anyone else got a chance to I read it. In, I kind of... I had it in me? my hands. No, I had it in um, my hands, but I didn't buy it, so I'm glad that you read it. I'm curious. Yeah, I... I picked it up and I I didn't know too much about it. I actually it was a pretty well a blind buy. I didn't know anything about it. I went right in and just it looked interesting. Um so it's written by Mike Costa and John John oh God. John Armstrong. <laughs> and away we go. Wait, 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 wait. Like John wait you, you, I'm sorry. I never I never go there. Yeah, but yeah. You blew John? No, because I'm, whoa, whoa, I'm, like, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I got this, I got this. These are the easiest names ever. And then I call him Jarn. Jarn <laughs> my life. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, Get Mike saucy Costa and John Armstrong. There we go. Part we'll edit it. that other part. Yeah. No, edit we won't. <laughs> um, by Ryan Brown. So basically, again, I went into this blind, and uh, as I was reading the first couple of pages, I was like, what is going on? There's this guy on stage and it very much looks like an Apple commercial, but with like Steve Jobs, like the lights come on and he's like, hey, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he goes into like this How discussion and I'm like, what is this guy selling like smoke and mirrors version of the iPad? And I'm like, is this going to, did I, did I make a mistake in buying this? Do I, is this sucking already? Um, and it actually turns out that he's talking, he is sort of like a Steve Jobs, but he he's talking about his products, but in the form of magic. Like, it's Earth, hmm. but it's not Earth. It's a place where electricity doesn't power stuff. Magic does. There's enchantments and stuff. I, and stuff. stuff. Good, Bells. 70. It's very well, specific. Spoil- spoiler alerts, I think, where you <laughs> Yes. I was trying to think of other magical words, but, uh, And you came you know. up with stuff. Yeah, I came up with stuff. Mm-hmm. But deal with it, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, he's explaining to this group of kids, you know, how, you know, there are things work. And it's basically giving us sort of a background into their world and how things run and all that without kind of getting too, uh, I guess, boring? 
Um, I, mean, I, I don't fun. know. Like it just it flows really well. Okay. Um, so basically, you see these kids afterwards, and he's talking to Steve Jobs, the magic guy. And <laughs> <laughs> basically, they're kind of like this. Everyone's like, "Wow, this place is so cool! Magic rocks! Oh my god!" And um, this one kid's like, "This is bullshit. You're a liar." <laughs> You're a freaking liar. Actually, I think he does say something along those lines. Just paraphrasing. <laughs> so basically, something happens, which we don't really know. I guess maybe something is referenced that pisses the kid off. And he's like, <laughs> you're so mean. And um, he gets kind of like lost in this Apple Willy Wonka factory. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you, I'm making this sound like... You just sold me on I the, want that, you, that I, Willy Wonka thing just sold you me. You should have led with the Willy Wonka thing. I'm going to come to Canada just so you could read the book to me, yeah. and I'll laugh my ass off. I'll paraphrase everything. Yeah. Nice. And this person was like, oh my God. And then this person was like, <laughs> you know no, you're need? kidding me. We need talking comic story time Skype with Stephanie Cook. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Just let her go. Just yeah. start the Skype, invite people in, and just let her talk. Uh, so anyways, I won't get into what this kid gets into, but it's some bad shit. He gets some bad juju and bad magic. We'll send her some beer and watch her go. <laughs> there is bad stuff that happens. It turns sinister. <laughs> oh, dun, dun, dun. Anyways, so there's not too much time in this Apple Willy Wonka factory. And uh, you, kind of <laughs> you see his home life and uh. just kind of, you, you, you just... I thought that initially this was going to be about this company that Steve Jobs, the Apple magical man, worked for. But, <laughs> right. it but he's not. Be, be clear, it's not it's, Steve Jobs, right? It's not Steve Jobs. Every, every but he does have like a turtleneck on. Yes, a turtleneck. Looks like Steve Jobs. Okay, but it's not Steve Jobs. It's not Steve Jobs. Okay, it's uh, like Doctor Fate with a turtleneck. It would be like this smoke and mirrors fringe equivalent to like faux Olivia and like Walternet for anyone who watches Fringe. Okay, I do. So like an alternate yeah. dimension, Steve Jobs. Yes. Okay. I mean, well, I think it's definitely supposed to be something like him because he has—he right. looks like Steve Jobs. But he doesn't walk out and go, "I'm a magical Steve Jobs. Welcome <laughs> to my Willy Wonka factory." No. no. <laughs> um. Anyways, so basically, this kid—you know—he's a little shit. He runs off, and he thinks that this company's full of crap because he's seen somebody like a street performer doing these tricks that no one else has developed. Basically, magic has to be developed. Like, it's not just like, I learned how to point my finger and I said, what's something from Harry Potter? I got nothing. Avada Kedavra. Right. Thank whoa. you. That's an unforgivable whoa. curse. Whoa. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Sorry, so, Wingardum Leviosa. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it happened and, to Abracadabra. You know, like, people aren't pointing and being like, Wingardium Leviosa. You know, they... they the magic has to be developed and put towards like specific things for it to work properly. It's like a um, muscle. It's got to be worked out. So part of this presentation was about, you know, like a new thing that they are trying to bring into the world. And this guy on the street already sort of seemingly has this technology figured out. It's not technology. It's just a card beater guy. He's like, it's David Blaine. Yeah, basically, he's kind of like this mind freak. I, Sorry. Like this, like, I don't know. He gave me the, I don't think he's a gypsy or alternate world gypsy equivalent. 
anyways, I'm going into a lot about this plot. Yeah, I have no idea Steve what's going Jobs on. Jobs magic bad. What's the uh like? What's the well? First of all, do you like the book? I do like the book. <laughs> okay. I think. I mean, it's a lot. It's. Don't talk about the plot. Did you like? No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I swear. I'm done. Um, it's it's interesting. I don't. I mean, the writing is good. The art is good. It's not consistently good, but I mean, it's still way better than anything I could do. Um, You're talking about the art. Yes, okay. the art okay. by Ryan Brown, okay. not Jarn. Jarn. Uh, Jarn. Jarn. <laughs> Anyways, it's the, the premise behind it um, that really kind of mm, caught my attention and just sort of wanted me to check out, well, made me want to check out more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I think that, I mean, IDW does have some good titles, despite my mini rage <laughs> at them the last time I talked about an IDW. Those title. words. Um. And I do think that this has a lot of potential to be one of IDW's bigger ongoing titles, like Lock and Key. Um, to me, that's what kind of potential this story has. And, okay. I mean, Lock and Key's still going. So yeah. um, I, I want to see what happens with it. And I hope that the writing, you know, is consistent and carries on and the story keeps on being engaging. But, you know, it's number one. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Mm-hmm. So we have another number one to talk about. I don't Steve. know how I'm going to follow that. I don't know either. <laughs> it's <laughs> impossible. It's impossible. I feel like we went on a journey. Yeah, I know. Magi- a magical journey. Do you want a very magical journey with a can magical Steve Jobs? Can I have Stephanie talk about my books next yeah. week? <laughs> and the Rocketeer was like, boom! And he flew! And he was like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da! And he got shut down. And it just makes it stand. He's like, fuck that shit, man. It just makes it so much better. This is the fucking Rocketeer, man. He's awesome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. All right. Well, let's talk about another uh, major event going on in the more uh, independent uh, world of comic books. This uh, past week, we had Zenoscope's uh, huge book that they've been working on for a while, uh, known as The Jungle Book Number One. The story was comprised by, this is a little bit of a list, Mark L. Miller, Raven Gregory, Joe Brusha, and Ralph Tedesco, uh, many of the powerhouses at uh, Zenoscope, with uh, pencils by Carlos Granda, and I'm not reading that name because it's very scary. Okay, (laughs) what the deal is is this is the Jungle Book. Everybody knows a Jungle Book, either from Disney or from Kipling stories, so on and so forth. Now, this is a, this is a book. I was um, very much anticipating it. I didn't realize just how big a deal this was going to be. Like, the art style, um, the tone of it was... It's very dark, which is, you know, a pretty standard issue for Zenoscope. But not only is it dark... It's really foreboding, and it's very smart. Um, It's essentially, the narration is told from, like, let's call her Mama Wolf, who basically turns out to be, everybody knows Mowgli's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, mother, caregiver, raises, anything. Mowgli, this time around, is a chick. Okay. So that's a little Zenoscope spin that they put on it. It's like they put boobs on her. Yeah, they put boobs. They added them. You know, they took away the junk. They add the boobs, Mm -hmm. a little bit more hair, and, you know, certain places and whatnot. Anyway, so you have these wealthy or well off families that live in, like, these, like, you know, crazy Peter Pan, like, think of uh, the movie Hook Mm -hmm. and the house that they go to visit. They meet Toodles and Wendy. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a house like that. And the parents, they're all well off. They're so nice. 
sell their children into slavery. Isn't that lovely? It's very lovely. They, uh, these four kids, they get placed into a crate and they board a, a vessel set out for, um, there's a war happening, uh, within the jungles. It's, uh, they don't know it, but it's an animal war actually called the Great Animal Battle of Kipling Isle. Little wink to mm-hmm. the, uh, the stories originated. Anyway, uh, the boat crashes and the children are um, strayed out on this island and they are all these all the animals of the animal kingdom. They find the children and they basically the whole the, the majority of the book is deciding what to do with these kids. All these different factions in the animal kingdom exist on this island. They are animals, but they're intelligent. They're organized. Um, they have political systems. They have territories. And it's some, some of these are really interesting. Like you have the meerkats siding are like friends, are actually like wrapped around each other and like crawling all over each other with the, like the snakes. They're their own enemies. They're friends. They're, you know, their cohorts. And um, the whole book is, like I said, deciding what to do with these kids. Now, what drove this book for me was, first of all, the artwork is absolutely spectacular. There's this uh, this two-page panel of the boat crashing into the island and all the animals running for their lives. Um, For me, absolutely spectacular. Uh, instead of going with a more cartoony look, because I mean, I think that when people think of the Jungle Book, they think of the Disney mm-hmm. uh, animated feature, and this is not that. This is very realistic. The animals, they look ferocious. They look like they could tear you to shreds. The children are petrified. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's happening. And it's just a really, really um, satisfying I you check you check. Can I can I just interject that don't be turned off. There are like six different covers. Yes. All of which are in a very sort of image comics fathom Dwayne Turner huge breasts (laughs) Mowgli on the cover. And the interior art is not like that at all. No. Well actually the interior art is absolutely gorgeous. The um the cover that I have, I have cover A. There's actually well there's three there's three variant covers, but there are four uh, regular covers, and if you hold the books up to one another, all four of them form one giant mm. spread. And it's cool because it's all the factions that the the children get assigned to by the time this book is over. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's cool because some of the some of the animals, like it was a discussion. Other animals were like, "No, we want this one." And they like before you even knew what happened, they steal them away. And that child is now lost mm-hmm. to whatever faction had taken mm-hmm. them over. And it just, it's such a good issue, one, because it sets a lot of, it sets up the war in one issue and it paves the way for the animals that take the children. You know that these kids are going to wind up with those personalities. Either they're going to be warriors or they're going to be gatherers. And it just, it makes for, I mean, taking animals and taking something like the Jungle Book. And putting it in a in a very much like a war uh, presentation, it's gonna be sick. Xenoscope mm. seems to be doing a lot of really good projects now, really big things. They've got um, the Alice in Wonderland series is taking off. There's another um, spinoff of that coming out about the Queen, and that's gonna lead into an ongoing series which they've never done. It's always been kind of compartmentalized into these little stories. 
Um, another huge thing they have going on is the Kickstarter event for um, the Grimm's Fairy Tales is being turned into a animation, hopefully. I would love to see that happen, personally. I think it would be amazing. And um, it's just really nice to know, like I said, with them juggling so many things, that so much care and preparation is being put into each one of these that, I mean, they always do a good job, but they seem to really be growing into their own that I think we're going to see a lot of huge things from them this year. And they're definitely a company to keep your eye on. And like with the Jungle Book, like with Bob was saying, don't be deceived by the cover. Their stuff is always, they always have large breasted women. And that's just the way that they do things. It's the way they draw. Mm -hmm. It's part of their appeal. But their characters are very strong. That they're not just there to be eye candy. It is eye candy, but the the eye candy is attached to heroines. They're attached to really strong-willed characters. Mm -hmm. And that is why I pay attention to their stuff. It's not just because I like giant tits. I mean, I do, but you know, well, good like, to know. Well, you know, it's it's not it's not the only selling point for me. There's a lot more underneath that, and with the Jungle Book, they're really setting that up, and they're they're telling you that like this is going to be a war, and great first issue. Uh, I strongly, and another thing, the Zenoscope books they fly off the shelves, especially number ones of something like this. Like Alice in Wonderland has been, you can't even find it anymore. They go for like seventy five dollars a pop on eBay. It's ridiculous. If you find the Jungle Book number one, pick it up. Not only is it worth the read, but just as a collector, it's awesome. So that's what I gotta say. All right, awesome. So um, that is it for book of the week for this week. Um, we have uh, a very special guest coming up, Alan Kistler, who's going to talk about Avengers versus X Men. Get all of us caught up on need to what, be caught up on what we need to know for what's coming down the pipe actually in stores today with Avengers versus X-Men yes. Zero. So um, we'll be right back with Mr. Alan Kistler. Alright, we are back, and uh, as we promised, we're going to be talking about Avengers versus X-Men, but I don't think any of us on the show is quite qualified to be talking in depth about Avengers versus X-Men. I, be know, very true. I know that I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. I haven't read an X book in years and years and If years, this was so. Avengers vs. X-Men like 25 years ago... Uh, I'd be on this. You'd yeah. be on it. You'd be yeah. know everything. Yes. Yeah, everything. Um, and Stephanie just doesn't want to show off, so that's why she's not going to... Exactly. She is so modest. Quiet. It's great. Yeah, that's what I would describe Stephanie as modest, definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> so, um, that being said, we figured we'd bring on uh, an expert of sorts. Um, we're going to be talking to Alan Sizzler Kissler. He is an author and actor. He recently wrote the unofficial Game of Thrones cookbook, which you can find on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. He is one of the hosts of the weekly podcast Crazy Sexy Geeks and the writer of the weekly comic book history and fashion column Agent of Style on Newsarama and has been recognized by publishers and new media outlets as a comic book and Doctor Who historian. And in June, he has two more books out, the unofficial Batman Trivia Challenge and the unofficial Spider-Man Trivia Challenge. And he can be found on Twitter at Sizzler Kistler. Alan, welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely, yeah. man. I'm, thank you for coming because we would look like fools if we tried to educate our listeners about <laughs> Avengers vs. X-Men. They're so. going to punch each other in the face. After the intro, I think I should leave now. <laughs> I think we're out of our depth here. But go ahead, Alan. <laughs> Hey, I'm 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 just here to help, and and I'm totally not in the the whole geek elitism thing. Anyone who's read any one of my articles or listened to my uh, Crazy Sexy Geeks podcast, like I I like to explain everything in the basics, so we can all be on the same page, and no one feels like I'm a new guy. I don't know this this playground. Like, no, that's stupid. We should all be welcome to these stories. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Monkey bars for all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. These monkey bars are only people who know the 80s Batman stories. <laughs> um, so let's kick right into it a little bit here. So, Alan, for anybody out there who doesn't know, um, what is just, what the, what's the premise of Avengers vs. X-Men? All right. Uh, it really starts years back. This event happened that in the comics is called M-Day. It was spawned out of a story called House of M. And in it, uh, basically an event happened where over 90% of the mutant population on Earth lost their powers. In Marvel Comics, there are superhumans who gained their powers because something happened to them, like uh, a radioactive spider bite or a gamma bomb or whatever. And then there are mutants, and those are people born with the X gene. They're born with this power that eventually emerges, and that's where the X-Men come from, that's where the Brotherhood of Mutants comes from, blah, blah, blah. So... M-Day took the mutant population from a few thousand uh, scattered across the world to under 200. Everyone else just completely lost their powers and special mutant traits. And so the X-Men books since then have been not just about peaceful coexistence with humanity, but about we need to fight for survival. Uh, we're, we're basically in- extinct. And for some reason, new mutants are not being born. And this character was introduced, Hope Summers. Uh, which is a name he's, she's adopted, and uh, she was the first mutant birth. There was this long storyline where Cable, associate of the X-Men, was protecting her, blah, blah, blah. And she's been hanging out with the X-Men for a while. She's been showing signs of cosmic power, these little spurts of cosmic power that look very similar to the Phoenix, which is a very big staple of X-Men history. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately is usually associated with worldwide destruction. And so Avengers versus X-Men... The idea is that it now looks like Hope will become the new host of the Phoenix Force. And that the X-Men see this as a potential for good because the Phoenix is so powerful and also symbolically means resurrection. Perhaps Hope becoming the Phoenix will mean a reemergence of the mutant race and that they truly will become a people again instead of just 200 folks. And the Avengers are afraid, okay, this is power that has been known to destroy a planet before and a girl below the age of 18, who we don't really know, is becoming the host of it. How are we supposed to believe she's not going to become corrupt? And so this is supposed to lead to a conflict between the two teams. Okay, great. I mean, that's a very lot of history in a very short amount of time and very job. very well said. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so now does this, this is going off like a little bit, but does this let little bit of mutants kind of thing, this extinction of mutants have a lot to do with what happened between in the events of Schism? And stuff when Wolverine and Cyclops kind of split from each other? Oh, definitely. It, it's definitely at the heart of it. Uh, because for years, the X-Men, while they were separated in that they were more feared and hated than, say, the Avengers and other superhero teams in Marvel, they were still essentially a superhero team. Mm-hmm. And ever since M-Day, it, it's been a very different game where 
Cyclops, who was always slightly militaristic, just upped his attitudes up several notches and, and has basically looked as the, at the X-Men not as, here's the team and, and everyone else is a student in training, but, okay, everyone living under my roof is a soldier. And depending on what mission happens, I'm sending any one of you out there. Uh, it, the events of M-Day and what followed led to Cyclops creating a covert black ops unit called X-Force, whose job was to kill enemies that just needed to be put down and that the X-Men couldn't publicly be seen killing. Mm-hmm. And so it, he's had a, a darkening attitude ever since M-Day. Because in his mind, it is survival now. This is not about Xavier's dream that you still see in the movies. This is pure, we are on the verge of extinction. We need to not just survive, but to terrify everyone into thinking we are so powerful they don't want to mess with us. And Wolverine, during Schism really came against that belief and was saying, look, even if we are near extinct, teenagers need the chance to be teenagers. These kids need to be trained. They need to be nurtured. They can't just be told you're a soldier on the front line. Like, they need a chance for a childhood. Uh, I sometimes, like, kill enemies because I'm hoping that I'm saving someone else from having to do that. I don't like the idea of teenagers being sent to kill mm. uh, or, or to take down people with extreme violence. So he went off on his own, rebuilt the X-Mansion school, and he's been leading the whole camp of X-Men that agrees with him, where they're trying to keep a division between the teachers and the experienced guys being X-Men and everyone else being a student in training who hopefully can have some semblance of normal life. Mm. Interesting. Well, it's um, a complete reversal of positions just between those two, but it wasn't, uh, is it X-Force years and years ago where Cyclops ran the original X-Men through a covert phase? I mean, back maybe 20 years uh, or so there, back where he tried to, uh, we're the X-Men, but we're the old yet new at the same time. We're not trying to be out in public anymore, but trying to do right, the that right was, thing. That was actually a team called X-Factor. That's, you're right. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, the idea then was it, was it was a way of Marvel kind of having its cake and eating it too. Because at the time that X-Factor came out, that was in the, the late 80s. And X-Men had undergone several changes, one of which was that Magneto had actually joined the group and was trying to reform and and prove that he was a new kind of guy and maybe he could operate with the X-Men. And at this point, some of the original X-Men had already left. And now Cyclops is leaving for various reasons, not the least of which was, I don't trust Magneto. This guy's been trying to kill me since I was 17. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so he he went off and then... uh, you know, Marvel had already had, they were having success with the X-Men, and they'd already had success now with uh, a spinoff called New Mutants, which later became X-Force, and that was the young yeah. team. Okay, that's right. And I so they thought, yeah. right, and they thought, you know, let's have another spinoff, which is the veterans. So those people who say, you know, I like X-Men, but I miss the original guys, that's X-Factor. And that was Cyclops and the original crew reforming. And they were they were acting more covertly, where the public face was... They were a mutant investigation team. So basically people who were afraid their coworker or their neighbor was a mutant would call up X-Factor Investigations and mm. they would show up. And they would pretend that they would somehow either alert the authorities right. to this. Or, or take them away. Or, or, or right, yep. or quietly remove the mutants themselves. But in fact, they were offering these mutants a safe house. And, uh, and that, that only lasted a couple of years. Very quickly, it came out to the public. X-Factor is actually the original X-Men. And they just operated very publicly before finally re-merging with the main team. And Cyclops became leader of an X-Men team again. Awesome. Um, 
that being said about the whole the whole schism between yeah. Wolverine and Cyclops, when we get into uh, Avengers X-Men, where are we uh, thinking Wolverine's going to fall in in this battle? Oh, that's good. You know, that's a very interesting question because uh, on a lot of the covers, he's standing with the Avengers. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. Although Wolverine is running the X-Mansion right now, uh, which has been renamed the Jean Grey School of Higher Learning, mm-hmm. which is uh, pretty fitting since Jean Grey was the previous host of uh, the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that didn't end well because she basically died twice and blew up a planet. Right. So yeah. he's, he, he often keeps it in his mind how dangerous that was. And being him, he, he knows the, the dangers of power out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I easily see him, along with the fact that he hasn't been trusting Cyclops' whole attitude in the past few years, that he would side with the Avengers and, and would basically try to reason to Cyclops, look, no one's saying lock the kid up, but if she's going to become a host for this force that we know can shatter solar systems, we need to contain her. We can't just trust, well, if we treat her right, as long as she doesn't go crazy, it'll all be good. Like, how, how well has that worked out for us in the past? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wolverine himself has been mind-controlled so many times that he has actually killed other heroes because of this. Mm-hmm. He's being mind-controlled right now in Alpha and Omega. The, uh, Wolverine. Right, yeah. that miniseries. Yeah. yeah, which is awesome. I like it. Oh, it's great. Um, so that being said, we have the kind of, we dug into Wolverine a little bit, but what other kind of storylines and character arcs are we going to need to know coming into Avengers versus X-Men to kind of not be royally confused when we pick up even issue zero, I guess, that's going to be on the stands today. Well, one thing uh, you might you might want to know a little bit more about House of M. Like, I, I talked about this event with M Day and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, the House of M idea and, and connects back to Avengers Disassembled, that basically, for a long time, uh, the Scarlet Witch was a member of the X-Men. I mean, I'm sorry, a member of the Avengers. Avengers. She started off as a, a, an enemy of the X-Men. She was working with Magneto, her father. And then she, her heart was never into it, and she later joined the Avengers, and she was a longtime member of the Avengers. And for a couple of years, some writers started tackling that she was more powerful than she ever imagined. Uh, she was always uh, specified as having a hex that she would throw. It was this kind of probability alteration field, and she would throw it at an enemy and basically back bad luck would happen to them. You know, the floorboards would break underneath their feet. Yeah, their the, pants the would roof, fall off or something. <laughs> right. Their roof, the roof would collapse on them. Their gun would misfire or something. Uh, and writers like Kurt Busick and then Jeff Johns really developed this further as she was accessing chaos magic and, and chaotic energies and that she could actually do this to huge levels if she wanted to where she's like turning around hurricanes and, and doing these huge things. And then Avengers Disassembled came along, and basically she went nuts. Uh, yeah. they, they called back on a story that John Byrne had done years before, uh, one of the many stories I've objected to, written by John Byrne, uh, where Scarlet Witch had basically been given a family because she'd fallen in love with the hero Vision, who was an android, and... And the two of them, through magic, had two kids. And John Byrne had come on to uh, Avengers West Coast, the series, and decided, I don't like this. So within about a, a half dozen issues, he had the Vision lose all emotions. So there goes your husband. And 
had the kids re- revealed as not being real. That basically an illusion. Yeah, there were kind yeah. of these illusions that Wanda had created through magic accidentally. She wanted it so and, badly. Yeah. Right. Right. She was twisting probability so much and without even realizing it because she just really wanted kids and to have a family. And uh, and it, it went into this whole thing where she went a little nuts and to basically save her mind, they had her forget that she'd ever had, had kids. And, and that way they could protect her from the pain. So Brian Michael Bendis and Avengers Disassembled called back to this story years later and said, uh-oh, Wanda remembered. And she goes nuts. <laughs> she basically takes out a couple of the Avengers, all of whom have now been resurrected. Yes. And uh, blows up the mansion, does a lot of stuff that makes the Avengers look kind of bad. And so the team disbanded. She was seemingly uh, then taken away by, by Magneto. And later the Avengers formed again. They found out, hey, Wanda's over with Magneto. They went to figure it out with the X-Men. What do we do if she wakes up? She's kind of in a coma right now, but she kind of screwed us all over. What do we do? Wanda did wake up. There was this whole story called House of M, and the final uh, moment of it was she decided that mutants uh, apparently cause a lot of problems, more problems with, than they're worth. And so she mm-hmm. uttered the phrase, no more mutants, and boom, that was M-Day. This is how okay. everyone lost their powers. And... That's been a, a major thing since then. There's kind of been this specter of Wanda in the X-Men and Avengers books. She's been missing for the most part. Recently, she showed up again in a storyline called Avengers Children's Crusade, hmm. where they, they find her again, and uh, basically the writer, uh, Alan Heinberg, did this pretty good job, I thought, uh, where he, he was explaining that Wanda's increased powers and then completely going insane with the uh, memories coming back was not entirely her fault. It was actually Dr. Doom. That Dr. Doom was manipulating her and hmm. putting things into motion to destroy the Avengers teams and many of Earth's heroes and, and to get cosmic power himself, turning Wanda into a weapon he could use, which honestly made a whole lot more sense than what we were shown yeah. in Avengers Disassembled. Sure. And it was very cool, but at the same time, you have right here a, a schism of points of views because the Avengers were kind of saying, okay, she was out of control. God knows all of us have been under mind control at some point. We can welcome her back. We can help her heal, and, and it'll be okay. And Cyclops was saying uh, she needs to be put on trial and executed by mutants because she screwed over our entire race and put us on the verge of extinction. And apparently she can't mm-hmm. even undo it. She can't just flip the switch and make it okay again. So it's not okay. Mm-hmm. So Avengers versus X-Men, AVX, is definitely going to touch on that because that was not resolved, really, in Children's Crusade. Like that, that, that was a big difference of opinion and approaches that is very fresh in, in both teams and will no doubt come up again. Oh, great. I mean, that's, I didn't know any yeah. of that. So that's, <laughs> you know, that... That's a great primer to get into it. Steve, is something you want to say? Yeah, I feel like I'm sitting in the coolest college course ever <laughs> created. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here like this is an actual history lesson. And I'm like, hmm, yes, very good. And it's it's awesome, dude. I, I'm very entertained by uh, by having you on our show. I'm very, I'm, ex- I'm like sitting here trying to be quiet, but I'm like, ooh. <laughs> well, throwing Dr. Doom into this is really interesting because mm. he's certainly, they share a similar origin, children of gypsies. 
Yes. Doom himself is mystical, though he doesn't show that much. He has that basis. His mom was a wizard, mm-hmm. witch, warlock. What would you call a... She's a witch. A witch. Witch. Yeah. Uh, yeah sorceress. Witch. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's involved through this children's crusade. Yes. Yes. He, he basically uh, turned out to be the secret uh, cause behind... The M event. I mean, I, okay. I, I, Wanda Wanda remembered it, but the reason that she went so violently insane and the reason she was getting more power than she could handle was because Doom was basically using her as a vessel to get this incredible power, which he then hoped to use himself. That harkens back to stuff he always used to do. Okay. Exactly. Like, he was, yeah. he was behind the scenes. And it's wonderful because if anyone loves working behind the scenes and having people destroy themselves... It's Doom. Yeah. I mean, and, and it goes back to an old uh, story, actually, Fantastic Four versus Avengers, which was in the early 80s, where Doom planted evidence that Reed Richards, mm-hmm. Mr. Fantastic, had deliberately caused the accident that gave him and his friends powers mm-hmm. in order to give Earth superheroes. Mm-hmm. And, and it was this great story where the Thing and the Human Torch were now wondering, like, you know, we, we know Reed gets obsessed with his ideas and sometimes forgets, you know, to, to think of others. But could he have done that? Could he have been this cold? Oh, my God. And, and led to this big conflict. It was really an interesting and scary yes, thought. Well, look, Ben and, was always again, unhappy was with doomed. Reed anyway. You know, for yeah, having turned him into yeah. the thing. So, yeah, sure, he'd definitely have a grudge. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Yeah, so those are kind of like the storylines and stuff that you should know about now. Are you excited about the the creative team behind this, because really, you know, the book's only as good as the people writing it, no matter how cool sure. the story idea is. So what do you think about the team that's uh, being put forth to tackle this event? I'm, I'm excited about some of them. Uh, you know, Brian Michael Bendis has been doing Avengers for a long time now. Uh, he, he's been writing the new Avengers team, and then uh, he, he headed up the main Avengers team, and now he's writing the new team book, Avengers Assemble. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of bendest out. Like, Ooh, I, I, thank I, you. I can... Somebody finally agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, he's got good ideas, and I respect him as a writer, and God knows it's not an easy job. It ab- mm-hmm. absolutely is not. And I've told him this to his face. Like, we've actually had this discussion. Um, it, there's a certain... Uh, degree where it becomes predictable to me, where I know these kind of remarks are going to be made, where I know I'm going to see these kinds of scenes. And sometimes he's so invested in the long-term story arc that I don't feel any conclusion to the smaller stories. And I miss that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if he were doing this alone, I would be like, "Mm, I don't know. It might have some good scenes, but I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Uh, but he's joined by Matt Fraction, who's been doing an excellent, excellent job with uh, Iron Man. Even, the, even when there are stories that I don't necessarily like or wouldn't go that direction, he's a good writer. I totally recognize mm-hmm. that ability. Uh, Ed Brubaker, excellent writer. Jonathan Hickman has been doing wonderful stuff in S.H.I.E.L.D. and in Secret Warriors. And Jason Aaron, I'm, I'm thrilled by. Jason Aaron has that beautiful embrace of absurdity. That's been so fantastic. He's been writing the title Wolverine and the X-Men. And like in the second issue has them attacked uh, by literal Frankenstein monsters because apparently they've made enemies with the descendant of the famous Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> and Iceman creates like multiple copies of himself made of ice to stop the Frankenstein monsters. 
And then Wolverine and, and uh, one of the kids goes to an alien casino in order to gamble and yep. make enough money to save the school. Uh, and Kitty fun. gets pregnant with a parasitic it's... aliens. And I'm just like, this is all I awesome. told you, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, that's all good. And Krakoa. Yes. Krakoa had a kid. Who knew? Well, wait, no. The island from back in yeah. Giant Size 1 has yes. a kid. Yes. <laughs> What is it? A little it island? A little, I'll a let little... you. Yes. I'll let you borrow that's exactly it. Exactly okay. what it is. <laughs> Next nice. time I see you, I'll give you yes. the. Uh, I'll give you the rod. Oh, that's great. So it's a little island. Yes, a little baby island. Kind of. Little island it, with it, big it, ideas. Part of Westchester. Oh man, <laughs> that's awesome. See, I agree yeah. with you. I, I'm. I, I even wrote a piece. Bendis is a very good writer, but if everything's an event and dark and horrible and let's exactly. blow people up and kill everybody all the time you get fatigued it mm. kind of turns into uh, i know where this is going mm. you you have to go there because of the, the the plot you laid down is he the overreaching i don't want to say editor but the sort of architect of what's going to happen here or is it a, a group plot? He, this is this is really more of a group okay um uh, that fraction definitely has a lot of say in this Jason Aaron has been doing such a good job in the X books. He definitely has a lot of say on like what's happening with that team, uh, and and you know Bendis also very much uh, respects and listens to Fraction and, and Brew Baker. Uh, I don't know his relationship with Aaron and Hickman, but Fraction and Brew Baker and Bendis, you know, they're they're boys. Um, and Brew Baker's <laughs> been doing a great job on on his own various titles with Captain America yeah, and for a while on. Secret Avengers, that, the opening arcs were very fun. Mm. Uh, so this this does seem like it's, from what I've heard from folks at Marvel, this is more of a group summit mm. uh, where, where they came together on this. It's not that Bendis sat down and wrote out a plot and asked everyone else to script it. All right, interesting. That's good. Um, now, like all like events, I know coming into events when I'm not into the books there's always there's the books that are going to be called Avengers versus X-Men and then there are all of the tie-in books right all of the right. the new Avengers Avengers all the X-Men books and I think there's going to be a Avengers X-Men versus book that's like another book um, which is nomenclature is confusing to me um, sure. you know it, it's the battles that Avengers X-Men couldn't contain or whatever um <laughs> Right, basically, Avengers yeah. versus X Men, of course, is the big fight, and then each versus book is basically taking a fight scene and extending it into a whole issue. Right. Okay. So, do you what, do you think that? I mean, obviously, this is all kind of prognosticating because we haven't read it yet. But right. um, do you think it'll be okay for people just to read that main battle, or do you think it's going to be important to read those tie-in issues? Uh, you know, it's such a crapshoot with Marvel. Um, what I usually find with, with Marvel events of the past several years is that you can read the main series and then there's one tie-in that really helps uh, develop it. Like with Siege, that was really pretty well done as a self-contained four-issue miniseries. But if you also read the Dark Avengers tie-ins, oh man, what a fuller story. Like Now this was the fall of... Norman Osborn's evil empire and everything. Right. Uh, same thing with uh, Civil War, going back several years. Civil War, yeah, you get the, the main thing with just the Civil War issues, but honestly it makes more sense if you also read the Spider-Man tie-ins and the Captain America tie-ins. 
it, it just makes a whole lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I could see that happening with this one. On the other hand, I mean, if these are just major fight scenes, I, I can see a lot of them just being super, uh, superfluous and just maybe adding one or two parts of uh, an explanation that when you see it in the main series might otherwise seem like a deus ex machina. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I don't see them being thing, and I'm honestly not really caring about several of them. I mean, uh, you know, Thing versus uh, Namor, well, I've seen that a hundred times. Yep. Uh, Spider-Man versus Colossus, I don't care. Uh, Captain America versus Gambit, I know there's a anti-French joke somewhere there. Uh, <laughs> Black Widow versus Magic, I don't care. Thing versus Colossus is kind of fun. Uh, Iron Man versus Magneto is fun, just because I'm just thinking, well, how are you, you going to do that, Tony? <laughs> uh, when he turns you inside all out, the money yeah. in the world won't save you. Yeah, we actually had a Twitter, what, somebody on Twitter mentioned about how, I guess, Tony has the, the armor fused into his bone marrow now or something. Right. So is it going to be another, like, Magneto versus Wolverine situation? Suck it if, all out. If it weren't Matt Fraction writing Iron Man, mm. I would say yes. Okay. Uh only because it's Matt Fraction, he's not leaving Iron Man, I'm going to say probably not. Or that if it does happen, Tony can repair himself by the end of the story. Because right. I, I talked to Matt about this, uh, making the armor part of Tony and essentially making him a cyborg. Mm-hmm. And if that was just because it's a new take and he wanted to explore that, or was there a specific reason? In his case, he said he wanted to do it because he wanted to take away the idea that someone else could become Iron Man. Hmm. That you know, Iron Man is Tony Stark, and now you literally can't have someone else put on the armor. They can put on a suit of armor and look like Iron Man, but you won't be as good because you don't literally have it fused into your nervous system and your thoughts the way that Tony does, and you can't summon it around your body the way that Tony can. Mm-hmm. That's a really and, good reason. Yeah, no more yeah, Happy yeah. Hogan as Iron Man in a pinch. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and while I'm constantly divided whether or not i agree with him it's i i respect that idea and and he's really very into that idea so you know this isn't going to lead into like some you know and now he's back to normal tony where he just puts on the armor i really doubt that i don't see mattis as going back on that but he could get really tony could really get screwed up by magneto and that would be entertaining to see you always like to see someone who calls himself invincible get really screwed up (laughs) right (laughs) You think he'd pick a different person to go up against? Yeah, know? yeah. It just yeah. you know, I'm just thinking, Tony. This has not gone well in the past. What right. what's going on here? It seems like Tony's at a disadvantage with a guy who can control metal. Yeah, <laughs> versing yeah. him. Just saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, not. I mean, some Tony can be impulsive, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knows what'll happen? Yeah. Uh, and then of course you've got the different regular titles, which will be having tie-in issues. Right. This is supposed to leak into Secret Avengers and X-Men Legacy and Avengers Academy, Uncanny X-Men, Wolverine and the X-Men. Building the model, uh, yeah. I mean, whatever book they can sneak it into, it'll it'll be there. Yeah, and and again, with those, uh, I'm going to focus on the guys who are directly relating to the story. Uh, So Jason Aaron's writing Wolverine and the Mm X-Men. I'll I'll read the Wolverine and the X-Men tie-ins. Plus, I'm liking that title anyway. Right. Oh, yeah. X-Men Legacy, I, the last issue really pissed me off because it made Storm, uh, Rogue look really weak, and I'm not 
thrilled with in general. I really doubt it's going to have a big impact on the main storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avengers Academy, it's fun, but again, I doubt it'll have a big impact on this. This isn't uh, Avengers Academy versus X-Men. This is Avengers. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing, I, I and Bendis' tie-ins tend to not have a lot to add. Okay. Ironically. Uh, if, if you read Secret War, I mean, sorry, Secret Invasion, uh, all the tie-ins that Bendis wrote really didn't add a lot to the main storyline. It's, it's some extra information, some of which is kind of interesting, okay, but a lot of it was just half the issue of each tie-in would be, okay, here's something new, and half of it would be flashback to stuff you've already seen, just with different art, or an extended version of a fight you've already seen. Mm. So, it, for my mind, it wasn't, wasn't really worth the money. Now, that wasn't Bendis' fault entirely, because he scripted out, uh, or mostly, really, he scripted out Secret Invasion to be an eight-issue story, and Joe Quesada said, let's turn this into a 16-issue event written by you that also has mm-hmm. tie-ins all across the Marvel Universe. And, you know, Bendis had to deal with that in, in a short amount of time. So I'm not, like, blaming that as, oh, he, he screwed up or anything. Mm-hmm. But that was the result, and, and so... You know, I, I think of all the books, I'm probably not going to read the new Avengers or main Avengers titles okay. to see how they tie mm-hmm. into this. Okay. So, so it seems like you're leaning more towards thinking the the X-Men books, or well, X-Men, uh, Wolverine and the X-Men yeah. is, uh, is a book yeah. you should be reading in, in conjunction. I, I think so. Um, I'd be curious what how Secret Avengers leads into this mm-hmm. at all. Who knows? Uh, I'd also say Uncanny X-Men will probably have a lot to do with this, because Uncanny X-Men, Cyclops and his, uh, as he calls it, the Extinction Team, his main strike force. Okay. And that's really Cyclops' book. And since a lot of this is probably going to be him versus Captain America in terms of philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, I can sure. definitely see uh, the, the Uncanny X-Men book having a lot to do with this, maybe showing us some behind the scenes of what Cyclops is thinking in reaction to this issue or that. Gotcha. Um, what about Uncanny X-Force? Is there anything to do with this at all? Is it contained at all, or is that going to stay separate? I haven't heard anything about Uncanny X-Force tying into this. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's listed among the tie-ins. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to make sure. Because um, there's so many X-Books on the stands that I think it can get a little sure. bit confusing for people to try to sift through all of those. Um, so we, we I was going to, Bob, I know I mentioned I wanted you to talk a little about your fatigue with events. We kind of got yeah. into that a little bit already. Briefly, but... Also yeah. your fatigue with Bendis. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> which we've talked about uh, several times. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you really want to say about you know. Well, it, it's the it's the event mentality. I think as much as anything, and I okay. understand from a business standpoint if it brings eyes to books that people aren't reading. Mm-hmm. Do the numbers suggest that people are buying the extra books that it does actually work? Alan, do you have any insight on that? You know that that's the thing, people want to buy what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, Blackest Night came out uh, in DC Comics, and Blackest Night was done, in my mind, pretty much how an event should be done, where uh, the tie-in books gave you a separate story that was part of the larger arc, but you didn't really need to follow the larger arc if you weren't mm-hmm. interested in it. Mm-hmm. And if you were reading the larger arc, and weren't interested in what happened to Wonder Woman specifically, you didn't have to read Wonder Woman's tie-in. Yeah, and I thought that worked... That's the right way to do it. 
it worked yeah. beautifully because then what basically happens is whatever tie-ins you get, you're creating a director's cut and, mm. and your own director's cut. And that, I think, is awesome. Uh, Marvel has not been as successful with that. Absolutely. Uh, a sev- also, several of their tie-ins will directly contradict what happens in the main series. <laughs> if you read the tie-ins of Fantastic Four, Civil War, and read the main series of Civil War... <laughs> There are scenes that cannot exist in the same continuity. <laughs> uh, there are two different explanations of how the Fantastic Four splits up. There are yes. two different explanations of how a certain battle turns out. Uh, mm. Even even Spider-Man tie-ins, which which I do suggest, it takes a mental uh, balancing to figure out how some of these scenes work together, because it it really seemed like the writers or the editors rather weren't coordinating. Uh, so, I mean, that, that frankly makes a, an event more exhausting than it should be. Right. And again, you know, if you don't care about Spider-Man, even if he's on the Avengers, you're probably not going to pick up the tie-ins as much as it advertises on the cover. Oh my God, this is part of the event. But you're <laughs> like, but it's, it's Spider-Man. I, I don't care. And you know, if something happened in that book, I'm sure they'll reference it in the main story, right. which is usually true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're fine with someone telling you, well, we're okay because Spider-Man fought off that evil alien with Venom. Okay, if that's fine for you, that's all yeah. you need to know, you'll just read the main story. So I don't right. think the times necessarily uh, kick things up as much as they'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the fact of you can fatigue people about an event before it happens. Right. And, and that's a danger. I mean, mm-hmm. all this advertisement and then, you know, Avengers Children's Crusade was pretty cool. But took too damn long to tell, and I'm I'm sorry. I really like the creative team, but it just felt like two or three issues too long. It should have been condensed a little more, and then to have after that Avengers X Sanction, which is the four issue miniseries that just finished. Yeah, just with, read with, through it now. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, Thank you. It is. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. It it's the whole thing is like. Because Cable was believed to be dead about nine months ago. Maybe it's a year now. Um, and he shows up again. And, and he's got this thing where he knows the Avengers are going to come after Hope, so he's trying to stop them. In a very bizarre fashion for someone who is personally friends with the Avengers and up until this time has always loved and respected Captain America. And you get this weird battle... That's way too drawn out. These four issues could have been told in an issue and a half. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of logic uh, holes. Anything from just a large hole of, well, Captain America leaves this battle to fight Cable. And for some reason, it takes an hour for Iron Man to chase after him. <laughs> and Iron Man, who literally has like telepathic radios built into his helmet, does not <laughs> let anyone else know hey, I found this obvious trap. He even remarks, this is obviously a trap. trap. (laughs) But doesn't think, well, maybe I should alert Wolverine and Luke Cage and the other (laughs) heroes that I left three blocks away from me that I might be walking into a trap. Mm -hmm. And and then you've got little holes of logic of, you know, Falcon is flying and and gets his uh, uh, armor shot, so he starts falling and like, oh, no, I can't save myself and crashes. Whereas I'm thinking, you know, ever since the 70s, Falcon has had a grappling hook, specifically so this would not freaking happen. (laughs) Where did that... And you can have it still not happen, but address it. Right. You know, maybe Cable shot the grappling hook too. Okay. Mm -hmm. An extra panel, 
I'll buy it now. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just lots of lots of gaps. Uh, people acting out of character. Um, no reason for this to happen other than at the very end, Cyclops sees Hope with a Phoenix flare as she cures Cable of the Technovirus, which, by the way, was cured about seven years ago. So what the hell's that about? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, and it's just like, oh, so now we know Hope could be the Phoenix. So you could have come up with that anywhere. You could have dropped that in the end epilogue scene of any X-Men comic. Yeah. It did not need this story to happen. Mm-hmm. And the return of Cable is really not special. When he comes back from the dead... And the first thing he says, the thing that's supposed to make this story have stakes, is, but I have 24 hours to live. Really? The guy who's been dead and just miraculously returned has only 24 hours? Oh, God, I hope he doesn't die. Again. Again. (laughs) Never mind that this would be the third time Cable has been killed. And, uh, and And then it's just, it's poorly put together. The art isn't bad at all, but you've got these things where, like, He's using these power inhibitor chairs that Magneto used, mm-hmm. and he, he references the story. Oh, I remember Magneto used these when he had the X-Men uh, captured, and I think it was an issue, um, I don't know, like 117 or something. It's way it back be, in the burn it run, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, shit. It was like, like 107 or something. <laughs> it was soon after Gene first got the Phoenix powers. And I was thinking, I remember those chairs, too. You know what happened to them? They were melted by lava. Yeah. <laughs> How are they here? <laughs> they were resurrected. Mm. Yeah, well, like, just address it. Magneto mm-hmm. must have rebuilt them. That's all it takes. I love I'll this. Yeah. And, and, I mean, the biggest thing for me, because I'm a huge sci-fi uh, time travel nut, is there's this thing where Cable is trying to give you his perspective as a time traveler. And he, he has this thing where you know, he's all in his, in his gruff uh, monologue captions, mm. and he's all... You know, when you're a time traveler, when you're living a paradox, when <laughs> yesterday's tomorrow is today, it's all confusing. And I thought, wait, wait, yesterday's tomorrow is today isn't a paradox. That's the definition of today. <laughs> <laughs> That's what today is. What are you talking about? Did you get brain damage from your resurrection? What's going on? Oh, man. So not a good lead-in to uh, Avengers for Second. No. And here's the thing. By by even flipping through that and seeing these things, it very quickly turns me off. And I have to remind myself, but these aren't the writers mm-hmm. of Avengers vs. X-Men. Mm-hmm. And I have to physically, like, almost verbally say to myself, but these guys are not doing this product. And the guys doing this product are actually pretty cool and good at their job. Right. And but the preview pages no The preview pages at the end of the issue are much better than the book that precedes it's, it. It's a shame that what was supposed to get you pumped for the event was very, just very lackluster. I mean, we just all read it. I finished it and mm-hmm. like my, I had no reaction. Usually yeah. we like banter about stuff before yeah. we start the show and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I was just like, yeah, I finished it. Mm-hmm. Eh. Can we, yeah, can, exactly. Let's, let's, and, see, let's and, do the podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a way to get anyone excited. If anything, you'll have the reverse effect. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you can't just rely on, well, people know this writer. Okay, but why do they know him at this point? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do people say about him? And also, even if they know the writer, is it a good story? Look at it. Look yeah. at his, his outline. Have him, I, I, there's been this uh, drop in actually listening to pitches now mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Or just hearing the basic pitch but not 
really looking things over and saying, maybe this story isn't working. They, they just kind of go with it. Well, he's getting it out there, and we need to have some miniseries to lead into this. Why? With all the advertising, you honestly yeah. didn't need this miniseries. Yeah. You know, you, you could have done something that actively explained everything I explained in this podcast about what's been leading up to this with House of M, mm-hmm. with Wanda, with Hope, with the X-Men and Avengers team fighting earlier this very year. Right. And, and how those wounds are still fresh. And you can bring up, in a very real scene, you know, Wolverine already questioning or getting some hint that he might have to choose between the Avengers, who he's been serving with for a long time now, and the guys that he just parted company with, Cyclops' crew of X-Men. You know, I mean, we, we don't know if it's going to be all the X-Men against the Avengers or just Cyclops' camp and Wolverine's camp is going to sit out mm-hmm. or what. Right. You really explore and get people wondering that and, and planting clues of who's going to side with who. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, in uh, the new Scarlet Spider book, they, they, I think they do a great job of kind of catching you up on the history of that character in real scenes with the character going through things, you know, and I think that that's definitely not there at all in Avengers Extinction. It's, and it's barely been advertised as a tie into the, the series though. I don't, so it makes it even less, make even less sense to me that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's the thing. Scarlet Spider has done an amazing job of giving you enough information about the clone saga without scaring you right. about <laughs> all this history that exists in the Spider-Man universe mm-hmm. uh, that brought about this character. And it's done a wonderful job. And exactly what you said it makes it part of the story and part of the character. There are scenes where we can experience it and see it and feel it. Mm. Whereas Cable, I mean, all the, all the dialogue in Avengers uh, X Sanction, it, it's pretty much the old, like, well, as you know, da 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 da. That's yeah. not what people absorb really well. You know, Cyclops yelling, quick, stop Cable, my son, who <laughs> everyone there knows he's your kid. <laughs> You know, it's just this unnatural, I mean, there's the old writing rule. Any any scene that starts with someone saying to someone else, as you know, is shit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, Stephanie, we do have one Twitter question uh, that we'd like to read out. It's a quick one, so. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun and mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Um, Eric Charbonneau, who is Rick Coldwater on Twitter, he wants to know, between all of the X-Men and Avengers, who do you think would come out as the winner in a battle royale? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not so easy. <laughs> all the Avengers? All the X-Men? Yeah, well, ever? yeah like currently. Like, yeah, like oh, a yeah. Royal Rumble. <laughs> the people that we're going to see in this event, I guess. Well, that... I mean, you, you've got on the X-Men team... This is one thing that makes it very fascinating to me, is that right now the X-Men have never been more powerful. Uh, on Cyclops' team alone, you have him, Storm, Emma Frost, Colossus with the powers of a juggernaut, uh, Magneto. That's that's huge, yeah. huge power levels. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I would say in the end, it if you had for some reason all of them just beating the crap out of each other and going for a battle royale, uh, in the end, the only two people who are conscious are Magneto and Captain America, and they just part ways. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I'm hungry. Let's go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go get a donut. Yeah. 
Uh, Captain America's like, I'm more interested in making sure that Spider-Man doesn't have a concussion than I am in fighting you. And Magneto's like, yeah, I'm done with this. This was stupid. Right. And leaves. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I like it. Nice. <laughs> the so, big finish. The big finish. I want to see this book. Yeah. Can you write this <laughs> book for us? <laughs> you have any idea how many times, like, I'll say how things should have happened? People are like, why didn't you write that? Like, because they don't hire me. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Uh, absolutely should um alan before we get out of here where can people find you uh on twitter or various other places uh you can find me on twitter at sizzler kissler s-i-z-z-l-e-r-k-i-s-t-l-e-r and uh that's also my email address at gmail if people have questions and such to send me uh my website is alan a-l-a-n kissler.com there's a weird malware warning on it right now. When you go there, I want to assure everyone I've I had my web people look over it. The site is clean. Google just takes usually a week to stop getting worried about a website. So it's all good. You can go with proceed if you <laughs> see that malware warning. And uh, that's the archive of a lot of my work. And every week you can find articles of mine, including my weekly column, Agent of Style, at newsarama.com. And I've also got the weekly podcast on iTunes, Crazy Sexy Geeks. All right. So plenty of places to hear more, Alan. And after the show, I think you should all check that stuff out because this has been very educational. Absolutely. I feel educated. Yeah, and entertaining. Yeah. So thank you very much, Alan, for being here. Anytime. All right, man. Um, thank you again for being here. And we're going to come right back with this week's releases. All right, we are back. Um, that was great. Yes, oh, yes, it was awesome. We need more guests like that. Yeah, that delightful. I felt like I was at a college course, like you said, Steve. Yes, it was, it was a lot of information. Knowledge is power. Yeah, and I know so much more about the House of M that I didn't really know. <laughs> I just I know and so much more about three, everything the now. Three special words. Yeah. No more mutants. <gasps> Very interesting stuff. Bum, bum, bum. Um, yeah, it should so, be followed by that that sting. Yeah. So I mean, the reason we talked to him is because Avengers Avengers vs X Men is starting. Um, Easy which for you to say. Is going? No, it was not. <laughs> um, which is going to be on shelves this week. But let's talk about what else is going to be on shelves. This is my yes. favorite part yes, of the show. I want to hear about all the releases. I want to know right. what I should be picking up today and what I should not be picking uh, up. Yeah. Well, I'm not going. I'm just going to tell you a, a plain list of what's coming out. And you guys can yay or nay we'll, if, we'll, if you wish. Yeah, we'll editorialize. We all right. Mind. So really quick, from Boom Studios, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser, number 12. Um, and then from Dark Horse, we have Angel and Faith, number 8. Yeah. Uh, we mm-hmm. have BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Pickens County Horror, number 1 of 2. Um, I like that word, Pickens. Yeah. King Conan, The Phoenix on the Sword, number 3. And Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> Crimson Empire, number 3. Empire Lost, number 6. <laughs> Star Wars, Crimson Empire 3, Empire Lost, number 6. From DC, we have All-Star Western, number 7. Which is apparently important to the Owls, yes? Uh, Not yet. yet. It's going to be, though. But it has an amazing cover. All-Star Western is like backstory of Gotham, though, since its beginning. um, You like it, Bob. It's awesome. American Vampire, number 25. Sweet. Aquaman, number 7. Batman the Dark Knight, number 7. Ugh. Blackhawks number seven, Bleh. Flash number seven, Yay. Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Men number seven. Sorry, Gail. Green Lantern, New Guardians number seven, I Vampire number seven. Yeah, another awesome cover. Um, just oh, what, what did I say was an awesome cover just before? All Star Western. 
Yes. yes. Right, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sticking with All it. right, we're back. Justice League Dark, number seven. Yay. Um, Legion Secret Origin, number six. New Dead Wardians, number one. That oh. is going to be really cool. I'm totally picking that up later. Mm. Uh, Savage Hawkman, number seven. Scalp, number 57. Superman, number seven, which I believe is the new team taking over. And also, iVampire uh, ties into a event uh, going on throughout the Batman universe as well of a giant war of the vampires. Oh, cool. So that starts hmm. today. Awesome. Teen Titans, number seven. Uncharted, number five of six. Uh, and Voodoo, number seven. Um, from Dynamite, we have Flash Gordon Zeitgeist, number four. Green Hornet, number 23. Voltron, number four. Ugh. Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 11. Um, yep. yes. There you go. Warriors of Mars, number two. Um, <laughs> Not we Deja have Thoris. IDW, we have Cobra, number 11. Dorothy of Oz, prequel, number one. Blah. Um, Hawken, number three. Magic the Gathering, number three. Star Trek, number seven. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number eight. With the right title. And Transformers, Robots in Disguise, number three. From Image, we have Alpha Girl, number two. Sweet. Bloodstrike, number 26. Bulletproof Coffin, Disinterred, number three. Carbon Gray Origins, number two. Choker, number six of six. Elephant Men, number 38. It just goes on and on. Morning Glories, number 17. Uh Walking Dead, number 95. Um, Marvel Mm -hmm. Comics, we have Astonishing X-Men, number 48. We have Avengers, number 24.1. We have Avengers versus X-Men, number zero. Which now we all have to pick up. Yep. Huzzah. Avenging Spider-Man, number five. Captain nice. America and Bucky, uh, number six. More Ed Brubaker, goodness. 28. Dokken, Dark Wolverine, number 23. It's the final issue. Daredevil, number 10. Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, The Waystation, number four. Deadpool Max 2, number six. <laughs> um, it's the final issue, Bob, so be happy about Thank that. goodness for that. Um, Future Foundation, number 16. I'll go with that. Ghost Rider, number nine, which is also its final issue. Um, Mighty Thor, number 12. Moon Knight, number 11. New Avengers, mm. number 23. Blech. Secret Avengers, number 24. Better. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is funny. Uh, 12, number 11. Um, wait, wait, no, no, no. Start that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. 12, number 11 of 12. Is this an Abbott Costello routine? Mm-hmm. Is it, we're going to ask who's on first next, right? Yes. Okay, good. Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 8. Uncanny X-Force, number 23. And X-Men Legacy, number 264. Wow. Um, from Zenoscope, we have Charmed, number 20. Grim Fairy Tales, Myths and Legends, number 14. Yeah. Grim Fairy Tales, number 70. Yeah. And Jurassic Strike Force 5. Number three. Can't fucking wait. All right. <laughs> so that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. I want to thank Alan again for being on the show. That was great. And um, yeah, we're all going to be picking up Avengers for X-Men number zero this week. I'm sure we'll talk about it next we'll, week. We'll have something to talk about next week. And then it's just off to the races with this whole AVX business. It's on. But until that happens, for Steve. Adios. Bob. Hasta luego. Stephanie. Baba. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.